This is recording number 11074 from the teaching ministry of Crossroads Community Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, October 27, 2013. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Let's Talk About Halloween. Today we're going to be, uh, I want to ask you to join with me in a little conversation about Halloween because, uh, like it or not, it's coming Thursday. And uh, I, Sue and I actually are going to get on a plane Wednesday night. We, we are going to travel to Taiwan for our fall, we go in the fall and the spring to spend a week teaching in a discipleship training school over there. So we'll be getting... Uh, on an airplane on Wednesday to travel there, and we, because we're crossing the international international dateline, we'll actually skip October 31st. Uh, so we we actually will not um, we, we do this time travel thing. It wasn't on purpose, but we're actually going to miss Halloween altogether. Not just because we're in the air, but because it goes off the calendar when you cross the dateline. Now, uh, the reason I bring that up is because I uh, I think that. Because Christians don't often know what to make of Halloween and how to think about it or deal with it, we end up either participating in stuff that, you know, is really kind of ungodly. We'll talk a little bit about that today. Or we just sort of exit, you know, kind of retreat into our bunkers and then come out again on November 1st. And I don't think either of those approaches are godly. And I'll just explain why as we make our way through this morning. And, you know, I don't usually do this kind of, um, kind of message. Uh, you know, I, I'm not a big topical message kind of guy. Only when the thing, you know, that I need to address seems significant enough that, uh, that I'll do it. And, but, you know, as I was praying and thinking about this week, and uh, it's really been a while since we've talked about this, and I thought it'd be a good time for us to do so. Not just because of Halloween, but because of the underlying principle that we'll get to, all right? Because there's more to it than just this. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, as we turn to Deuteronomy chapter 11, and we're going to read just a few verses here. And by the way, I'll just alert you to the fact that we're going to make our way through a number of passages this morning um, and look, look at a, sc- a smattering of verses that I want to sort of provide as a background to the discussion. This is also not usual or typical for me because uh, what I tend to feel uh, most called to do is take a single passage of Scripture and then just dig into it and hear what God is saying to us out of it. Um, But So we're doing a number of things differently today, and, and that's part of it. But as we drop into Deuteronomy chapter 11 where the people of Israel, the children of Israel, who you know the story, um, the Lord liberated them from Egypt, uh, from their slavery of 400 years there. They traveled through uh, the wilderness to the promised land. Uh, They refused to actually go in and take possession of the land of promise because there were, they said, giants in land because it was occupied by people who were not Israelis, people who did not uh, honor or worship the true God, pagans, if you please. And, uh, so, and they were fearful. So they turned around, spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. Now they're back again at the threshold of their destiny. 
And the Lord is preparing them to cross over and actually live in the place of the, their destined promises of God. I mean, this is a big moment in their lives. And he's giving them the final instructions about that. And that's what the passage we're going to read uh, comes uh, from. That's the context of it. And so, verse 22 of chapter 11 of Deuteronomy says this, For if you carefully keep all these commandments which I command you to do, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him. He's summarizing what the commandments are. He says, for if you carefully keep all these commandments which I can't command you to do, and then he summarizes them, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to hold fast to him. If you do this, then the Lord will drive out all these nations from before you. And you will dispossess greater and mightier nations than yourselves. If you dig deep into me, he says, and obey my commands, you're going to make your way into this land of promise and dispossess or uh, turn out the people, the practices, the pagan idolatrous worship that goes on there. You're going to turn it out, squeeze it out, push it back, uh, eliminate it because I am greater than uh, any obstacle or enemy you're going to face. And then in verse 24, he says, Every place on which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. From the, and, and he's saying that you're going to find every footfall, I'm, I've been there and I've prepared that for you, now that belongs to you. And as you make your way into what is um, a corrupted uh, land, a corrupted culture, you're going to start to take it back step by step, step by step for me, for my kingdom. It's going to be my, turn out to be my, my blessing to you, my promise to you. And uh, so I think that's pretty powerful. Let's just leave that in the background as we uh, turn to a couple of other verses uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, way back in the New Testament now. 2 Timothy, um, and uh, you, you might ascertain from what I just said that there would be a 1 Timothy, and there is, but that's not where we're going. 2 Timothy and chapter 1, verse 7. Paul the Apostle, who wrote many of the New under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote many of the New Testament books, is writing to his mentee, his, his protege, his son in the faith, and he's giving them, him a number of um, uh, you know, gu guidance, counsel kinds of things. And this is one of them. He says, let's actually back up to verse 6. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And he's saying, look, Timothy, you remember that I have been imparting to you something from the Lord. I've been imparting to you uh, gifts from God. And I'm challenging you to stir up those gifts. Fan them into flame is a, a literal translation of that phrase. Fan them back into flame. Whatever has been smoldering in dying embers, fan that back into flame. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. And he identifies, this is one of the few places where demonic spirits are identified. Now, it's not as though, you know, there's this spirit with a jersey on, on the back it says fear, right? 
It's not like he's got a little pin that's, you know, with his name tag on it. But there are some places where the Bible clearly identifies some spirits for the purpose of uh, exposing what they're up to. And, and Paul is saying, look, this is not just an attitude, not just an idea. There is a, there is a personality behind fear, and it's demonic. And God has not given us that spirit. He's given us the Holy Spirit, a spirit of uh, power, love, and a sound mind. Completely opposite. Now, turn to 1 John. 1 John, so keep going further back towards the end of the Bible there. There's 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And you want 1 John in chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Verse 5. This is the message which we heard from him and declare to you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. None. No darkness at all. You know, darkness and fear sometimes have, uh, in our culture, have been understood to be um, you know, sort of neutral. You know, you can kind of play with it. In fact, there's a lot of entertainment in the name of uh, fear and, um, and darkness. In fact, I, I was driving down here last night to, to watch the worship team and, and hula uh, team uh, practice pass by um, Fright Night at, um, at uh, Discovery Kingdom. And, you know, I'm not here to lambast or go on a tirade or picket or, uh, you know, any of that kind of stuff. I'm just saying it's interesting. There was, uh, earlier that day I had gone the other direction and got snarled up in this huge traffic jam of people heading there to an event called Fright Night. Entertainment in the name of fear. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about that because we have read here right now that in... That, that God is a God of light and in him is no, in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Chapter 4, the same book. 1 John, chapter 4. Verse 7 Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. That's not all he is, but he is that for sure. God is love. Now, verse uh, 18, same chapter. There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So in God there is no darkness. In God who is identified as love itself, there is no fear because perfect love casts out fear. No darkness, no fear. So with these things kind of uh, set in the background, let's begin our, our, our brief conversation this morning about Halloween. And the first thing, let me just 
talk to you briefly about its origins. Now, you know, I have done this. I've, I've, not recently, but in the past, I've tried to do the deep dive into historical uh, references and try to come up with, you know, where are the, the true roots of Halloween? And, you know, there are some things that are, are fairly clear, but a lot of it is pretty fuzzy and, and, and misty. We don't really know exactly uh, how all of uh, the practices surround Halloween came into being, blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is that it seems to be, th- this seems to be pretty clear, that uh, the Roman Catholic Church, as it was, as the Roman Empire was moving into Western Europe, and, uh, you know, along with that came the Roman Catholic Church, there was this kind of unholy amalgam of uh, Roman Catholic practices or, uh, around, you know, worship of saints and so forth, and then the the festivals of harvest and uh, festivals of the dead that pagan cultures in Western Europe were celebrating, and you know there was this kind of this blending of the thing, and all got in the mixer, and it came out as Halloween. And uh, so, at the root of Halloween is at least a compromise of faith. At least. And so, you know, right there, <laughs> you can tell I'm not a huge fan. But let's be, uh, let's be realistic, too, because the modern... Sig- no, but no, you know, very few people are thinking about some of that stuff when they go off to celebrate Halloween this week. In fact, Halloween is the second most celebrated holiday in the United States uh, now. After Christmas. Uh, That means it beats out Halloween, Mother's Day, Father's Day, all that stuff. Halloween, number two. Why? Because it's a... Well, I mean, like I know exactly why, right? But but, uh, part of the reason why is because it's a secular celebration. It's not tied to any sort of religious, um, you know, notions or... uh, You know, people might have some awkwardness about celebrating Christmas because it's about Christ, Right? Or Easter, or that kind of thing. Sorry for the for the mic distortions there. Um, and because it's a secular holiday, people feel who are not, you know, people of faith, they feel like they can just dive into that, and, and so it's become very popular. On the way uh, uh, from Vallejo over here on Highway 80, you see the big spirit storage sign out there, billboard out on the freeway, and about well less than a half a mile from here is one of those big stores, and. Um, so it's everywhere, and it's hard to, uh, hard to avoid. But most people who are celebrating um, Halloween this week are not thinking about the, de- the demonic aspects of it, the dark aspects of it, the fear aspects of it. it it's, it's, you know, primarily... Excuse me, wrong slide there. It's primarily thought of as just a, a way, you know, to blow off steam. <laughs> you know, let's party. Uh, it's also a costume party. And, you know... Hey, I've never, the only time in my life I've ever wanted to dress up, she's laughing because she knows, she knows me, that I'm not much of a, the kind of a person who would dress up, right? Uh, The only time I ever really dressed up for, for a costume party was because my mother-in-law had given me this um, polyester leisure suit, (laughs) and I didn't know what else to do with it except to wear it as a costume, so I did. Um... But you know what, I, my, uh, 
I, my, granddaughter, my granddaughter sent me a photograph the other day of her costume that she's going to wear for uh, her school harvest party and then Halloween. And I mean, it's just, it was, look, I have the best looking grandkids in the world. So it was, it moved me. I was very, I loved that. I loved to see the joy in her face. You know, my little grandson one time, he was dressed up like a, a big cat. I can't remember if it was a lion or a tiger or something. He came up to me. You know, he, he thought he was sneaking up on me. And he goes, rawr, like this. And I thought, you know. So, I like, uh, uh, so I, I don't, I'm not picking a fight with some of these things, you know. It's, that's, and, uh, you know, to be honest with you, some of the very best memories of my childhood were trick-or-treating with my friends and family. And, uh, you know, I, I don't remember anything... Now, I know that there's, there's uh, you know, rotten roots to that practice of, of trick-or-treating. But I was completely oblivious to it. I didn't think about that at all. It was just a great day to be out in the neighborhood, meet my, my neighbors, have them smile at me and give me candy. <laughs> and I loved that, you know. So I'm not, I'm not here to, to, you know, to pick a fight with that stuff because that's kind of what's in most people's minds. But what they aren't aware of is still important. What I wasn't aware of as a kid wandering around my neighborhood with my, with my <laughs> gunny sack full of candy um, still was important. And that is that underneath it all, down in there, there is darkness and horror. Damn, I keep, keep... And that brings me to this slide. It's a spiritual, there's a spiritual impact to all of this. I'm just going to mention two, okay? Number one, the trivialization of the occult. Where it's a, co- you know, the occult is a costume or a, or a, a smiley face demon, right? So, so um, you become sort of numb to some things that are really real and serious and we don't end up taking them seriously because we have sort of trivialized this stuff. Does that make sense to you? I think that's a huge problem. <laughs> uh, I'll give you an example. You know, a number of years ago when Sue and I were pastoring in another church. And it was, the, I think, the Sunday before Halloween. And one of the children's ministry workers, who was a fairly new believer... She'd gotten kind of the point that, well, you know, things have changed now, and I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna celebrate Halloween the way I used to. But she hadn't quite gotten the full memo yet, you know. So she showed up uh, to her class with some can- bags full of candy to give the kids. But on the outside of the bag, she'd put these little stickers of demons and goblins and ghouls, and stuff. but they all had smiley faces. So she thought that was okay. You know, I didn't take her out. To the woodshed <laughs> for that, but I did have to talk to her about it because it's part of that trivializing of something that's really real. When you're in my shoes and you have to, uh, on nearly every day of every week that I live, talk to people whose lives have been ruined by demonic activity, the real bondages that people deal with. <sighs> It isn't something to celebrate. It's not something to take lightly. 
And so the trivialization of the occult, that's, that's a problem uh, about our, our, this whole Halloween thing. Another part of it is the accommodation of the spirit of fear. Um, you know, I, some of you know this about me, but it was all the way from as long as, as early as my, my earliest memories to my mid-20s, I was desperately afraid of the dark. Not mildly, terribly afraid of the dark. I could not be in a dark place alone. Um, now, you know, I, I don't know what you think about me for admitting that, but it doesn't really matter. I'd learned how to cope. You know, I knew how to make it through my house, turning off this light and then turning on that one. And, you know, and, and I could get to where I needed to go. I had figured it out. I knew how to survive and get along. Uh, so I didn't really think about it in terms of, you know, its spiritual impact I, until our first child was about two years old and began to scream out in the night for fear. And I'd rush into her room and, she, and she'd just be in tears and just petrified, a little two-year-old. And I realized, wait a minute, fear is not something to be accommodated. It's not something to give place to. It's not something to tolerate. And it certainly isn't entertainment. And I decided then and there, I got to get serious about, about this. And, and I won't, you know, the story's too long to tell. But the Lord really met me and delivered me from fear. I can, you know, t today, uh, you know, tonight, if you wanted to, to test me, you could drop me into this, into this building all alone, turn off all the lights, turn off the parking lights. I'd be happy as a clam. I am absolutely fine because of the Lord delivering me. See, look, I was 25 years old at least. I was smart enough to know there weren't boogeymen in a closet, but I was still petrified. It's completely irrational, but horribly debilitating. Fear is not something to be accommodated, and that's a serious issue. Wherever you stand about Halloween, you got to think about that. You got to consider that. Not something to toy with. So let's talk about a redemptive view because, you know, what do we do about all of this? Well, one thing for sure is you don't, the Lord has not called us to, um, to pull away from the culture. And you, by the way, you, you can't, you can't, uh, you know, you can't retreat from cultural pollution, cultural Pollutions. Let me give you an example. When was the last time you used the word Wednesday? Probably last Wednesday, right? You, you know that, that, that Wednesday is, it, it comes from the word Woden's Day. Woden was the Norse god worshipped by that day. Woden's Day. So every time... I say the word Wednesday, I'm describing a day devoted to a pagan god. All right, so I can't purge that from my vocabulary, 
right? I can't distance myself from that cultural issue. Now, when I say Wednesday, I'm not thinking about that, but it's still there, right? When was the last time you had candles on a birthday cake? That comes from the the worship of Artemis, a Greek god. Part of the way that people worshipped him. So, are you going to stop having candles on your birthday cakes? Maybe, but for the most part, I'm, I'm thinking not. I know I'm sure not. Although, when they try to put enough candles on my cake now, it's a tough thing to do. In fact, I got a birthday card one time. When I turned 50, now it's been eight years later, it's even worse. When I turned 50, somebody gave me a card that said, you know, we were going to put candles on your cape, but we decided just to light the lawn on fire instead. (laughs) (laughs) That that was funny. You know, look, I've been alive long enough. I remember as a young teenager sitting in meetings in my American Baptist church where this was the debate that was going on. Can we use guitars in the church because they're so associated with rock music? And they had a point. But I'm, I'm so glad that we didn't surrender that part of... Because the, the enemy is always trying to take ground from us. Always. He's, he, wants to take, he wants to take music, poetry, business, art, education. He wants to take it all and every time we surrender ground to him, it's working in his, in his purposes. I'm so glad that the church decided we're not going to give up guitars. <laughs> we claimed them back for the kingdom of God, right? I remember being a person who debated. And, I t- and, and in the debate, I took the con. I was in the debate about whether uh, rap music could ever be employed in the church. And I took the con. I said no. I'm glad I was wrong. I'm glad some people rose up like some of the folks in our church and claimed that back. That whole genre of music could have been abdicated to the enemy. But we claimed it back. So we can't avoid or retreat from the the ungodly pollutions in our culture, what, what we need to remember is what God said to his people as they were moving into a polluted land. Every footfall, take it back. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Dive deep into me. Keep my commandments. You're going to find that every footfall, you're going to pull that back for me. You're going to claim that territory for me. And I think the Lord wants for us to, to have that mindset, that uh, perspective in, in everything, in every way, but, but it certainly has to do with what's about to happen on Thursday night. Let me tell you one more thing and then we'll, we'll get out of here. I think this is kind of interesting. Part of what the children of Israel were wading into when they crossed the Jordan River was pagan cultures that celebrated harvest in very wicked ways. Very wicked ways. And so the Lord was saying to them, you're going to go in and you're going to take back. Part of what they were going to take back was harvest celebration. And prior to the verses we read in Deuteronomy chapter 11, the Lord had been instructing the people, here's some ways I want you to party. 
There's some feasts I want you to keep. And the three top ones, Feast of First, Fru- First Fruits, which is part of Passover, Feast of Weeks, which is Pentecost, and Feast of Tabernacles, those top three, all three of them are associated with the harvest. And he says, I want you to keep these feasts. And here's how, in very specific detail, this is how you celebrate them and how you honor me at these seasons of the year and what they say about me and my relationship with you and my love for you and my provision for you. I want you to take that celebration and go into a place where they celebrate a harvest in a completely ungodly way and turn that over. Dispossess that. Now, I think if it was me, I would have said, okay, I want you to celebrate these things, but, you know, uh, harvest, par- harvest is already taken. So let's pick another time of the year for, for this stuff. No, the, the Lord says, no, I, want, I, I don't want to surrender harvest. I want you to go in and take it back. And they did. They did. So, <clears throat> I don't know. I'm not going to sit here and tell you what you ought to do Thursday night or Thursday. Uh, but I want for us to consider uh, that we have a God in heaven who is not angry at people. He's not a killjoy. He's not trying to steal the, the, the he's not trying to steal candy from a kid, right? No. He, he, I think we have a God in heaven who, who loves it when people have fun in a, in a healthy way. So, you know, he's not a killjoy, but he is concerned about the things that sometimes people aren't paying attention to, the spiritual things that really, really matter. And you and I can make a difference. In our small part of the world, we can make a difference. Uh, Starlene was telling me right before the service started that, you know, they're going to be having um, a, a uh, Christmas child, Operation Christmas Child, uh, shoebox packing night at their house that night. That's a way of taking October 31st and, and taking it back. Not just surrendering it, not just going off into a bunker somewhere, turning the lights off at your house so the kids pass you by. You know, it's, it's taking it back. You know, Sue and I, we won't be here this year, but when we are home, we turn every light on the house, you know, on in the house. We want, when the kids come down our block, we want our house to be the one brightest lit. And when they come to the door, we want to give them more candy than anybody else. And whether they know it or not, they're going to get prayed over, prayed for, their parents, you know. Now, I, I don't mean that we, you know, we lay hands on them and, you know, and that kind of thing, but... Uh, you know, we, <laughs> I'm taking it back. You know, I'm taking it back. Um, I think you get what I mean. So I'm not, I'm not, I don't think there's any one, one way of dealing with this, but I think there is a way of thinking about it, a way of understanding it that has more to do with just how we live in this world than just about Halloween. 